Welcome to the Secrets of Confident Women podcast, where you'll learn all the best tips, tricks, and practical techniques for building the confidence levels you've always wanted. With inspiring interviews, real-life examples, and game-changing insights, this podcast is for women who know that mastering the skill of confidence is one of the most important things they'll ever do. Hello and welcome everyone to this week's episode. I'm so excited about today's conversation because it is a topic we haven't really touched on before on this podcast, but it's also a topic that so many of us women deal with and it can absolutely obliterate our confidence if we let it. Today, we are talking about how to deal with the mean girl in our heads and love our bodies unconditionally. And our expert on this topic is an incredible woman, Lizzie Kangro, who has launched her new book titled Reclaim the Rebel, 12 Rebellious Acts to Achieve Unconditional Love for Your Body. Lizzie is an expert nutritionist and wellness coach with a deep passion for helping others finally feel good about themselves and love their body. Inspired by her own journey as a teenager suffering from an eating disorder, Lizzie is now an international health authority who helps her clients overcome their destructive thoughts and behaviours towards their body. I can't wait for this conversation today. So Lizzie, I'm thrilled to welcome you to the Secrets of Confident Women podcast. Thank you so much for having me and what an introduction. Oh, good. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I loved your book. I loved, thank you for sending that through. And it was such a joy to read and as someone who has a teenage daughter, just putting that, you know, your topic out in the world and getting it from your perspective, which things we're going to talk about today was so overwhelming. I just loved it. I loved it, loved it. So I hope it's going well for you and it's really getting out into the world and helping people. Thank you so much. I mean, it means the world to be able to provide something that I wish I had yes. when I was a teenage girl. Yeah. And so really my whole purpose is to share my story as well as share things that have helped me and my clients to effectively move through some of the challenges that we're going to talk about today yep. and to actually reclaim that body confidence that we all actually have when we're born and (laughs) along the way we lose it. So it's about reclaiming it, rebelling and actually feeling good again. Yes. What a great joy that would be, right? And you have to work at it, right? Because the mean girl in our heads, you know, I talk about her, we call it the negative voice. She's there constantly. And if you let her, she will run the show. And it's not even that you sort of get to a place of body confidence and then it stays there forever. Like confidence, we say it's a work in progress all the time because that mean girl in our head... She's going to keep talking until the day we drop dead. So we have to have these tools and techniques and ways to move forward, but you have to consistently work at it too, right? Yeah, that's that's such an important message. And I think when I began this journey, I just wanted her gone. I yes. wanted her silenced forever. And that was just, that was coming from a place of frustration and fear and all the things. And what I realized over the time was actually it is a journey and it's not a one and done thing. It's a practice. And whilst, you know, we can get more 
competent at silencing our inner mean girl as we would in any practice. You know, if you look at an amateur versus a professional sports person, they're more practice, but they still need to practice along the way because as you said, you know, that inner mean girl, she can pop up. Yeah. Uh, anytime, no matter how long we've been on this journey. So it's not a matter of, you know, silencing her. It's learning how to move through these situations with more ease. And you do, you get the highs and lows of our confidence and, you know, when things are stressful or our life has taken a, you know, hit a wall or taken a turn into a, a direction that we're uncertain with, things come up and, you know, overeating or the body things or the mean girl, everything sort of can come back when your system's down or when your weakness, when your strength is is reduced a little bit too. So we need these tools and techniques to call on to be able to get us back on track. So anyway, we're going to talk about that today. So to start with, tell us a little bit more about yourself and your business. People lovingly refer to me as their self-love sister. <laughs> I love it. And to me, that's so that's so nice because essentially what I'm passionate about is helping other women to silence that inner mean girl and confidently step into the body that they love without the extreme diets out there. Um, a lot of clients yeah. come to me wanting to change their body in some way but not realizing that until we change their mindset, nothing else will actually change. So a lot of people have kind of gone through this yo-yo dieting cycle and that in itself can be very destructive in terms of our own self-esteem. So we work through that and ultimately, you know, help more women feel good in themselves. Yeah. Love it. Love it. And what does confidence or being a confident woman mean to you? We ask this of all our guests because it's the Confident Podcast and it's interesting. We always get slightly different perspectives and different views. So I'd love to hear your view of what confidence, being a confident woman means to you. Yeah. And I love this question because as you say, different people have different perspectives, but in my opinion, confidence is something that we can't give anyone else. It's something that comes from the inside Mm -hmm. and it's really an inner knowing and an inner trust in ourselves. So we can be confident in so many different areas. We can be confident at driving. We can be confident in our career. We can be confident in our food choices. And the key underlying theme is that that confidence comes from practice. Again, you know, going back to our conversation just now. And that practice is something that we can help others with. So what I do is I equip women with the tools so that they can build up competence and therefore build their confidence in feeling good in their bodies. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And competence is such a great word to bring into that because when you do feel competent in something, you do feel confident in something. And, you know, I was doing a presentation earlier in the week and we were talking about that with the ladies in the in this workshop I was doing. And it was like, we were looking at exactly that. What did you do when you learned to drive? Well, you were not competent when you learned to drive. And if you're anything like me, I had to learn on a manual and I bunny hopped all the way around and flooded the engine and did all sorts of things, right? But would I do that now? Well, no, because I'm a competent driver, which gives me the confidence in being a good driver. But you apply that to all things in your life. You know, we never start doing anything really competently. (laughs) 
like it's a learning, but we expect so much of ourselves sometimes to just be able to roll up and be competent at something, whether it be in careers or, you know, a sport we're doing or as a mother, you know, that was a whole world of I was highly incompetent at the beginning and I had to learn, right? But yeah, so I love that word brought into the that definition because it is really important that we see that change. And as we increase our competency, whether it be with food choices or whatever, our confidence naturally increases as well. So I love that. And when are you the most confident version of yourself? So the most confident version of myself is when I am dancing. I mentioned this in the book. I love dancing. And I think the reason is because when I start dancing, I come out of my head and I'm fully in my body. And music in itself, I feel like is is a root yeah. like a direct route to my soul. And then, you know, when you can incorporate movement into that and, and pair it with music, it's just such a beautiful experience. And so dancing is probably when I am most confident. Yeah, and it's so freeing, isn't it? When you can just be, when you get into your body and out of your head, where other than, oh my God, is people looking at me or am I making a fool of my life? <laughs> you can just let all that go. <laughs> I love dancing as well. So it's a really good one. Okay. So in the beginning of your book, you talk about the number of clients you've worked with who roll up saying that their goals are to lose 10 pounds or have a flatter stomach or look good, which I'm sure we've all had a list in our lives of all those different goals that we're trying to achieve. But underneath it all, there is a core belief that they are not enough. They think that when they achieve that goal, then they will be enough. So how did we seemingly get this belief and what the hell do we do about it? (laughs) Yeah. So as we were mentioning earlier, we're not born feeling not good enough. You know, we're born into this world with complete self-love and confidence. If you just look at a newborn baby, they're obsessed with themselves. They're like, oh, look at these toes. Like, I'm going to put them in my mouth and look, oh, I'm smiling. That's cool. And over time, we get exposed to these different messages, beliefs, and stories from either our family or our culture or the media that essentially tell us that we're not good enough. Now, in the context of our bodies, a lot of those messages can come from the diet industry and can also be fostered in the playground from our parents and their own beliefs and thoughts. And we hear it so often that these beliefs become embedded into our own subconscious belief system. So they don't feel like beliefs of other people anymore. They're our own beliefs. So we start to grow this inner mean girl who also starts to tell us we're not good enough. So it really begins with the outside world telling us we're not good enough in some way. And then this builds up a program in our own minds that we're not good enough and the two sort of reinforce each other. And so really the first step in kind of overcoming this vicious cycle is awareness. Mm -hmm. Many of us aren't actually aware that this is what's happening. But also, as you mentioned, a lot of us feel like in order to achieve that enoughness and regain that, we have to we have to do something and we have to become, you know, 
a completely different person. We have to lose a certain amount of weight. We need to change our eating habits. We need to act a different way. And actually, that's not the truth. That's actually living from a backwards model saying, you know, when I have this, then I'll be enough. Whereas if we operate from a place of we are already enough and starting to embody the belief of I'm already enough and thinking about it from a place of who we're being and who, who we can kind of embody as somebody who already has that enoughness, then we can Tomorrow we can yeah. feel good enough. That's right. As opposed to chasing this yeah. endless goal. Yeah, and it never satisfies, right? When you focus like that, because it's just you get to that place, and then it's only a few weeks, and then you're back to chasing the next goal because there's something else, and because you're not enough again, and it just it's like a vicious cycle. And I've said that years and years and years ago. I lost 15 kilos. I don't know what that converts to in pounds. I was in my late. 20s, 30s, right? Enough was enough. And I'd changed my whole eating pattern. And, and it took me eight months, eight months to lose 15 kilos. So it was a real life changing thing. And I've maintained that since, which is fantastic. But it was that, well, I'm not good enough and whatever. But it wasn't long after I, you know, got to my goal weight that then there was something that replaced that. That was like, well, now, oh, well, now I have to look like this, or now I have to get fitter, or now I have to. So I often talk about that with presentations as well, because it's, it was great that I did that and changed to a more healthy eating. But the mental was still there. Like I still had to do so much work on the mental of, well, okay, now you're at this goal weight and that's great but now there's something else that you're not enough in. So it just continues. If trying to achieve this 10 pounds or a flatter stomach doesn't stop that conversation in your head, it just gets replaced with the next thing that you need to fix, for want of a better word, to be enough again. <laughs> like it's just goes Absolutely. on, right? Yeah, it's like the example of people who enter into plastic surgery to change the way that they look and kind of, you know, it's this experience of, okay, well, I'm not happy with this part of my body. And then, you know, they go into surgery and then they start noticing another part of their body that they want to change. And where does it end? Mm. It ends at that decision of I am deciding to tell myself that I am enough and and flipping that switch in our mindset. Yeah, absolutely. Because it can just go on and on, as you say, whether it be surgery, whether it be whether it be weight loss, whether it be, and you know, even with clients, it's like when I get that next job, when I have that car, like it, it goes through all our lives. So it, yes, it's on our body, but it's, it's trying to fix the mental conversation around that, that then infiltrates all areas of your, of your life, right? It really does. Yeah. 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 Okay, so I love the chapter that you talk about, about rewriting our stories that we have about our bodies and how these negative stories rob us of unconditional love for our bodies. So you say, in order to reclaim our natural right to unconditional love for our body, we must be willing to completely transform who we are and what we believe. Not just a little or a half-assed attempt, but rebelliously change, which I'm sure that's where the title of your book came from, which I love. So how do we rebelliously change these old and negative stories? Yeah, and this is really kind of feeding into what we were saying earlier about deciding 
that this is it. Like we have a choice to keep these negative mental loops going, these negative stories in our head on repeat. And this might actually feel very safe because, you know, whilst it's not aligned to us feeling good, what our brains do not like is change. And so by keeping everything the same and telling ourselves that we're not good enough, we're actually keeping ourselves in a very safe, predictable circumstance. And so the rebellious part of this is actually being relentless in our decision to completely rewrite our stories and our beliefs. Because if we don't do that, then all of the old identities and old stories will start creeping in and just water down our attempts to actually feel good in our bodies. If we don't completely flip the switch, then there will be these instances where the negative stories creep in and tap us on the shoulder and go, are you sure you're enough? And so really (laughs) the rebellious thing (laughs) is to just completely cut ourselves off and say enough's enough. I'm going to give these stories back to the people and the industries that they came from and not have shame in doing so. Because I think also, especially if these stories came from our parents or our friends, it can feel very isolating and kind of scary to decide to move away from these stories because we've attached them to people in our lives. And so that in itself is a very brave and courageous thing to do, but it's very necessary. It's not saying that you don't love these people. It's just saying that that's not my S-H-I-T. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And taking on other people's insecurities, you know, when they're teaching you this story, sometimes it's their stuff that then they're putting out into the world and we're taking on their stuff to have it be our stuff, right? And with the marketing, I mean, the marketing industry is just seriously out of control. And I think things are changing, but probably like at a very slow rate as far as, you know, women of all body sizes now being in marketing campaigns and brochures and things like that. But it's so small. Like we just need that really to, you know, ramp up. So I'm hoping that in in my daughters, in the next sort of generation, that the real hardcore marketing will be watered down a bit more to be more open to all different body images and all different sizes and all different colours and all different ways that that people can look that does depict beauty as such as or depict what healthy is. And it's just going to take such a long time. I wish it was going quicker than, (laughs) than it is because it makes such an incredible difference to what we see and what we think and how we feel about ourselves if we can see representations of all different body types and shapes and and that in media. Absolutely. And I feel like there really is a collective rebellion going on amongst women. And there's this building feeling of enough's enough. We don't want this anymore, which is really, really exciting. But as you say, it's really going to require a lot of individuals to put their hands up and say, I don't want this. And also... For us adults, it is harder because studies have shown that if we have negative body image or low self-confidence as teenagers, that is carried into 
adulthood. And so, you know, it makes sense, right? The longer that you have these stories, the harder it is to get rid of them. But it does not mean, this is another rebellious part, it does not mean giving up and saying, well, I've had this for decades, I just can't change. It's not about that. I had a 10-year eating disorder and years more of self-abusive thoughts. And if I can change the way I feel about my body, everybody can. So, yeah. And you're right. It's a choice. Like you need to realise. I think it's realising the damage that those thoughts are doing to a detrimental level and realising, as you say, being that rebellious to go, I'm drawing the line in the sand. Like enough is enough. I think something came up like years and years ago and it might have been with Oprah or someone, how many more years, like if I think about the number of hours I've spent berating myself and criticising myself and trying to change my, like, and then you're dead. Like how many more hours are you actually going to commit to this for your life? Like imagine putting that into something more positive or charity work for God's sakes or or thoughts or helping other people. If you put that number of hours that you've spent just criticising and berating yourself into something more positive, what a completely different life you would live. And I think that's got to be the wake up call is like, how many more years am I going to do this? How many? Like really put a number on it because sometimes it's already been 40 years. Are you going to keep doing another 40 years? Like, is that the the choice you're making? And it's got to be that wake up call to, to be able to get to where you're saying, drawing the line in the sand and just going, enough is enough. And it's done. Like we've got to move on here and committing to making a real positive change to those thoughts. Oh, I'm getting chills. Oh, God. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, nobody is. Did my soapbox just arrive? (laughs) It did. And it's fantastic because nobody is getting out alive. Nobody is getting out alive, Lizzie. That's right, doll. It's like, I know. Oh, I know. Anyway, so we as women have a tendency to put others first, as we do, which can damage us mentally, physically, and really diminish our self-worth. And you refer to Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages, which I love. I read it many, many years ago. But for those who haven't read it, what are the five love languages and how can we turn this around to work on ourselves, which is so interesting. I've read it in as much as working with my husband and understanding his love language and understanding mine and doing all that when I first started in relationships. But I never thought about it being the turnaround for myself. This was so interesting in your book. So I'd love, you know, explain more about that and how we can do that. Yeah, this is one of my favorites because I've talked to several people and they've said similar. They're like, I never thought of it like that. So the five love languages in a nutshell are essentially designed to help deepen our romantic relationship with our partner. So Gary outlines five different ways we can express and receive love. And those are quality time, acts of service, gift giving, words of affirmation, and physical touch. And he says that by understanding our love language and our partner's love language, we can essentially get better at communicating our love for our partner and they can get better at communicating their love to us because our love languages might not match. That's right. (laughs) So yeah, which is often the case. Yes. And so when I was reading the five love languages, I had this kind of light bulb moment where I was like, well, can we just turn this whole thing around and just use our love language on ourselves to communicate 
love for ourselves. Yes. And so I tried it out because my primary love language is gift giving. Oh, so is mine. <laughs> really? Yes. That's awesome. Mine is um, gifts. That's really cool. Do you love Christmas by any chance? Yes. I love so when I'm like feeling down or whatever, like I'm the need a bit of a shopping trip. One of my girlfriends is going through a tough time at the moment and I said, Dal, just put some shoes on and go up to the local and buy yourself a present. Like, because that's my, but now I didn't realise that it was like doing that because that's what I do. I just go, oh God, I need a present. So I just go and whether it's a pair of earrings or something, it just makes me feel better that I've, but it's giving that gift to myself because my love language is gift giving. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So you are naturally doing that. But for other people, it might be they need some kind of words of affirmation. So having a post-it note above their desk Mm. that reminds them that they're valuable or that they are an amazing mom. Sometimes that's what's needed. Sometimes physical touch. You can cuddle in a nice blanket or wear soft clothes and fabrics. Or go and get a massage or or something. So it's like treating yourself to that sort of, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I created a quiz for people who aren't sure what their love language is. On my website, it's www.nutritionbylizzy.com forward slash quiz where you can take a five-minute quiz, discover what your primary love language is, your self-love language, as I call it, and then some ideas as to how to use that on yourself. Yes, that's great. Well, let's put a link. We'll put a link on, we'll put a link to that in our show notes. So people, I think it's good to get ideas as well. And I think we'll say here that what Gary does talk about is that we all have generally all the love languages, but there's a primary one. So even if your love languages give, I still like words of affirmation and, you know, there's all, I like all the bits, all the love languages as such, but it's, I think so it's good to have ideas because it is, it's still all about self-love, isn't it? So even if you did some from all the different love language areas, it's going to help you to feel more self-love. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a great point. Our brains respond to you know, a love language more fully than some of the others, but all of the different love languages are all very, very powerful. And so we can kind of pick and choose different ideas depending on how we feel and just really have fun with it because that's the whole point. You know, I think in the process of really wanting to build our body confidence and really wanting to get rid of this inner mean girl, we kind of cling on and white knuckle the journey and Mm. forget to have fun in the process. And so what I love about the idea of the self-love languages is that we can have fun with it. It doesn't take a lot of our time and it it's finding a way that our brains respond to and that we can respond to. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Okay, well, we'll put that on our show notes on our website, the link through to that, so people can go and do that and find out. And if they haven't read The Love Languages, it's a really valuable book to not only help with yourself, with your intimate partners, but I also find it with, like he talks a little bit about knowing your children's love language as well. So it really goes through all the different areas. So it's such a valuable book. Now, I love Rebellious Act number 10. 
about dressing up or dressing down. And this comes into my coaching all the time. This is something I really focus on in my own life and help with my own confidence. So you say that in order to have unconditional love for our bodies, we need to be okay with showing up and being seen. And the goal is to have a routine and wardrobe that are aligned to our goal of showing unconditional love for ourselves. So how do we ensure that we do this and what are your top tips? Yeah, so it really goes back to us thinking about, okay, well, when we step into a place of already having unconditional love for our bodies and just kind of almost closing our eyes and imagining that version of ourselves, what is she wearing? How does she do her hair? Does she paint her nails? What is her skincare routine like? And just kind of really feeling into that and using your imagination to create that version. And then once you have that, you can then open your eyes and look at your current reality and whether or not it's aligned to that vision of yourself that you just had. So you can literally do a wardrobe audit. And open your wardrobe and go, okay, well, that version of myself who has unconditional love for her body is not going to be wearing that sweatshirt that has a massive hole in it that's like 20 years old. And then you (laughs) start throwing things out or giving them to charity. And I really like to do this because this is a very therapeutic exercise. And it's one that we can do periodically because that vision can change over time. And so we can do that with our wardrobe. We can do that with our sock drawer. We can do that with our underwear drawer. We can do that with our makeup, skincare, and hair. So it's a really fun exercise to do. And then once we have kind of done that audit and made space, we can then have some fun and take ourselves on a little shopping trip. And it doesn't have to be a shopping spree or, you know, a big spend up, but, you know, go to the store and maybe pick out a nail polish that you think really represents that version of yourself who is more confident and has more unconditional love for her body. Or maybe it's a case of, you know, time to throw out the old bras with the underwire that sticks into your ribs. Oh my God, yes. Just, there's no place for a shitty bra, like honestly. Oh no, that's punishment. (laughs) That is is self-abuse. It is (laughs) self-abuse. You're right, you're right. Actually, in my book, I talk about the underwear thing going, what are you waiting for? Why is the good undies at the back of the drawer waiting for like this special occasion business? It should be every day and you're wearing the terrible ones that have no elastic. And look, a pair of undies are not expensive these days. You can go and at least buy some cheap but well-fitting underwear, right? That yeah. makes you feel good. It just like put your head at the back of the drawer and pull all those like <laughs> special occasion undies. Seriously, do it every day. Just wear them because you do, you feel better in it. I had a client that did the bra thing. She was overweight and wanted to feel like start the self-love thing and whatever. And she went and bought a bright red bra that no one else could see but her, but she was all convinced about because I wear a lot of red. And she was like, I can't, I'm too conscious to wear red on the outside, but I'm going to wear, I'm going to get myself a red bra that really like helped. She had, you know, a really large breast. And anyway, it just transformed this woman's life because she went and got a well-fitting 
bright red bra that she loved and she felt a million bucks in, right, <laughs> that nobody else That's could see. That's so empowering. But, you know, it made a difference to her and how she behaved and how she felt about herself, which in turn made a difference to, you know, who she was being around everybody. So it absolutely is so important, which I why I love this chapter. Yeah, and I love that example because it's so from the outside, it seems so simple. Yeah. You know, just this one garment can make such a difference to how we feel, how we show up. Yeah. And the cascade effects are so huge. And I definitely, underwear is like our secret weapon. <laughs> and as you say, like nobody has to see it. Nobody um, sees it. You know, other than our partners. But it really does make a difference. Like I match my underwear. So I love sports bras. So my sports bra always has to match my (laughs) underwear. And so, you know, the colors, it just makes me feel good. And I, you know, again, like it's not something that we have to advertise to the world or spend a lot of money on, but it can make such a big difference. Yeah, it can. And I was talking about that because sometimes we feel like this, we get into this, oh, doing the adorning thing and putting, you know, good clothes on and whatever is a bit pretentious or something. And I say to people, no, it's not, it is about self-love. If you can be the best version of yourself in certain clothes, then be that, like do that as often as you can, right? Feel good. We were talking about this at the presentation the other day and we were talking about presenting in front of people because there were a group of corporate women who were sort of climbing the corporate ladder and they invariably, as you go up the corporate ladder, you have to be project leader or deliver, you know, information to the directors you're more visible. You are more visible generally in the organisation and you are generally more visible to key stakeholders in the organisation. And we were talking about what do you wear? Like when you have to go and do that present, wear the best damn suit you've got in your, or the, the outfit that makes you feel like you're stepping into that role and that you feel good. And then that helps you with your confidence to be able to deliver that. You know, it's not pretentious or, you know, whatever about how you feel if you feel better in high heel shoes or focus on what makes you feel amazing and that then you show up as a different person in the world, right? And you can take on challenges that you couldn't take on if you think you're having a bad hair day and you're in your sweatpants and you, you know. Absolutely. So it makes such a difference. Yeah. As you were talking, I was just thinking about Beyonce. I mean, she had that alter ego, Sasha Fierce, and, you know, Sasha Fierce wore certain outfits. Yes. And it was Beyonce's way of embodying that personality, that confidence and that fire. And so why are we shaming and judging ourselves about being vain or pretentious for using our clothes yeah. to feel good. No. Would Beyonce do that? No, she would not, <laughs> <No>. darling. <laughs> she would not. And I was talking, there is a lot of research coming out about clothes. And anyway, one of the ones I was talking to was about even lab coats, like science, you know, the white lab coats. There was a study done where they, I think they were MBA students or something, you know, they split them up and put them into two rooms and whatever. And they gave one group lab coats to wear they performed at a higher level because there was some shift in them that they felt smarter in a lab coat. So, you know, it's like, it's not even just about being vain or thinking what, it's like scientifically proven that the clothes make you act 
in that way. So, and it makes a difference. It can make a difference to your marks, you know, like, so it is such an important thing that we, and as you say, it doesn't have to be a big spending spree, but I was taking my daughter whenever we go to the, the shops to buy clothes, because teenage daughters, there's a lot of growth. So we go through a lot of clothes, <laughs> there's a lot of clothes. It's my rule for myself now, because I've bought so many outfits over the years that I've, then I've got home going, oh no, like this is not right. <laughs> you know, and either had to take it back or, you know, what have you. But I stand in the change room and I go, do I love it? If I don't love it, it's a no. If I don't go, oh yes, it's a, it's a hell yes, then it's a no. Like if I'm standing there going, mm, maybe, or then it's a no. Like really go, if you play with that yes or no, then you do find outfits that you just, that are completely you, that are completely your personality, that who you want to express yourself as and what makes you feel good. If you're standing there in the half-assed, mm, not quite sure, maybe it can work, then it, it's a no, right? <laughs> it's got to be a no. Absolutely. And it's such a great rule to follow, to find items that just are going to make you feel good. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. I think everybody's nodding along right now going, yeah, yeah I've had that experience. I've done that. Yeah, <laughs> I've done that before. Now, speaking of daughters, we so many of us have daughters, teenagers or preteens. So I would love your insight into the best things that we as mothers can do for our preteen or our daughters or even our early 20s that might be still living with us or, you know, around us. How do we ensure, what can we do as mothers to ensure that they have unconditional love for their bodies? Yeah, this is such a beautiful question. I feel like every mother wants that more than anything for yeah. their daughter to be healthy, happy, and just feel good. Whilst I think most mothers are very good at pouring love onto their daughters and telling them how beautiful and capable and how they can achieve anything. It can be very difficult for speaking to my experience and having this with my mom, for the daughters to look at their mom and see that their mom isn't actually loving and valuing yes. themselves. So yeah. My lovely mom was and is very good at saying how proud she is and, you know, how we're in Los Angeles and I'm from England and she came over about three weeks ago to celebrate our wedding. And she was like, oh, you're so beautiful and you look so happy and da, 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 and saying all of these lovely things. And then in the next breath, she said something about how ashamed she was of herself. And so it was just a, such a powerful moment when I realized that as mothers, it's really important to model what we're advising to our daughters, yeah. you know, actually embodying that own self-love because moms are our role models. Yeah. <laughs> so when we look at you, whilst words can go some way, actually like the physical behaviors and how we're treating ourselves is a bigger teacher sometimes than the words the best thing that we can do as, as moms is just to love ourselves. Do the self-work. Yeah. Because yeah. then you model behaviour yeah. that they can learn from. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm -hmm. Good point. I love it. And we talk about that in, with confidence as well. It's like, you know, the best thing you can do is be confident as well because then your daughters see the confidence and see how you deal with the world and what you say about yourself and what challenges you take on. But it's got to be modelled. Lip service isn't enough anymore, <laughs> anymore you know. 
Yeah. And that includes also, you know, showing moments where maybe you don't feel confident, but how you're working through it, because that's also an important point is, you know, being realistic about, okay, you know, maybe I'm having a bad day, but this is how I'm working through it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Both sides of the coin, because we're not superheroes all the time. We try to show that to the world, but yes, it's being that, having that vulnerability to show all sides of the coin when you're not feeling good about yourself, when your negative thinking has taken over, when the mean girl's running the show and you're like, got to get yourself back on track because then it feels normal when other people experience that because they're not alone. And so many women, you know, come to me with saying, there's something wrong with me. I've got low confidence. There's something wrong with me. I've got this voice in my head. I go, Dal, everyone's got the voice. They're like, really? I'm like, yes, I've got the voice. It's just learning techniques to manage that voice or manage the mean girl rather than thinking there's something wrong with me because I've got this mean girl in my head. It's like, no, we've all got her. You've just got to find ways to manage her. But, you know, that conversation, starting to make them feel okay and normal, that that's what they're experiencing, is the first step to go, oh, there's actually nothing wrong with me. This is just, I sort of say, welcome to the human race, you know. (laughs) You're here with the rest of us now, right? But (laughs) but we've got to be open and talk about it for it to be normalised and to, you know, to realise. And with the body confidence thing, it's normal that we have this mingle, but we've got to to use the tools and techniques and the self-work to get her under control. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love how you mentioned about the importance of vulnerability because the more we're able to be vulnerable ourselves, the more we're able to connect with others. And I have a very similar experience with clients and they're kind of saying, you know, oh, the other day I looked in the mirror and I just thought my boobs would just look so saggy and I just got into this negative mental spiral. And then I'll say, oh, yeah, I had an inner mean girl moment, you know, just yesterday. Really? Exactly. Yeah. Guess what? (laughs) It happens. It happens, exactly. And it doesn't matter whether your boobs are saggy or pointy or whatever. Like everyone's still criticising their boobs or or their ass or their whatever. It's like you're thinking, really? Your boobs look great or your ass looks great or whatever. And they're like, yeah, like not for me, right? So it's just this switch moment that you go, Oh my goodness, this is, it's ridiculous what is going on. Like, anyway, people should go and buy your book and get all the 12 techniques and tools because it is a first start. I found it so valuable, again, for me to talk with my teenage daughter about. So it's going to be a good book to pass around. So there's lots of insights in there for people who want to start the self-work and or start helping making sure their daughters have the same unconditional love. So we'll put a link to your book in our show notes as well. But we finish every episode with our Rise Women final power questions. So are you ready? Bring it on. (laughs) What do you wish every woman knew? So this is going to sound super cliche, but sometimes... They're the, the best. cliches are the best <laughs> because they're so true. And that is, I wish that women knew their power. Yeah. And the power isn't some kind of, you know, physical, structural power or, or whatever. It's the power within to rewrite those stories, to claim their body confidence and to really make a big, big difference in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. What is your superpower, Lizzie? <laughs> Now, I had an astrology reading yesterday. And oh, good. 
So we were talking about my superpower and this timely, stopped me in my timely. <laughs> It was very timely. And she said that my superpower was my infinite amount of light. Love that. Wow, that's a and good superpower to have. I just, I lit up, no yes. pun intended, but it made me smile. And that's really what I want to do in this world is to kind of provide a light yeah. that people can use to help them along their journey. So Ooh, that's that a, is my superpower. That's a nice one. That's a good one. Uh, now, are you a heels or a flats girl? Why choose? Why choose? <laughs> Why we can choose? have both. We can dress up. We can dress down. You're correct. I think for practical reasons, the the sneakers, trainers, <laughs> yeah. definitely. But if I am on the dance floor, heels. Absolutely. Of course. Absolutely. <laughs> doing the doing your best Beyonce rendition, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> Sasha Fizz would never wear flat style. That's that's what I'll go with. <laughs> uh, your favourite quote or the rule that you live by. So uh, we were talking about words of affirmation and I have a quote that I wrote on a post-it note above my desk that I'm looking at right now and it is, I am valuable. Love that, yeah. Good reminder for all of us, actually. Who inspires you and why? So it's kind of a combination of, of who and what. So I have a very strong pull to serve as many women as possible and help them in their journey. So every single day, what I do is driven by that purpose. And so if we were to say who inspires me, it's the clients that I serve and the clients that I'm going to serve in the future. Yeah. Just because that really is why I'm here is to is to help others. So yeah. love it, love it. And finish this sentence, if I had even more confidence than I do now, I would... I would be the tomorrow version of me because I feel like confidence is something that we're all growing and it is a journey. Absolutely. That's a good answer. I love it. Yes. Good, good. Well, thank you so much. As I said, love the book. I hope people go and purchase this and, you know, read through the 12 rebellious acts to self-love because we all need it. It is a journey. It's something we consciously need to continue with. And as we've talked about, our expression of that and loving ourselves and loving our bodies makes a difference to other women. So it's a collective that we've got to really move forward and start saying no to the marketing that we're not going to tolerate anymore and, you know, start the way we talk about with our girlfriends about our bodies and about our kids and about all those things. It starts with all of us to make a difference to other women in the world. So... I'm sure this book is going to impact a lot of women. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for giving up your time and bringing this important topic to our podcast for the very first time. I don't know why we haven't touched on it before, but we were waiting for you, Lizzie. We must have been waiting for you. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. It's such an honour and I really appreciate you having me. You're welcome. And thank you to everyone for listening today. And remember, there are so many ways that we can help you become the confident woman you've always wanted to be. So please get in touch. We have a number of free downloads on our website, which are really valuable. So go to risewomen.com forward slash free to access all our free content. So until next time, remember with confidence, anything is possible. Bye for now. 